Today's scripture passage comes from the book of Ephesians chapter one, verses one through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. First of all, I want to thank a couple people. Uh, I want to thank my wife, Kim. Uh, for two weeks, we were keeping our grandchildren. And it was a four-year-old and a four-month-old. And at 60, that's, that's a little challenging for me and for us. And uh, I kept saying, I kept thinking about all of y'all with young kids. I said, man, you guys are heroes. And... And, uh, but my wife, you know, the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? So guys that are married, look at your wife and say, baby, you're my good thing. Wait, I don't hear that. <laughs> well, Kim's my good thing. And so she, um, you know, she allowed me time to study. She took care of the kids to, to make sure that I wasn't distracted. So Kim, thank you very much for that. I want to thank Marshall Griffith for uh, putting together the slide decks for us and helping us to get through this. And so I really appreciate that very much. And then those that have young children, I just want to salute you and say you guys are really, really heroes. And so great job. And let's give them a hand there, huh? Yes. Yes, it's a young man's game. Amen. So last week we talked about, we kicked off this series uh, about Paul and his letters, and we, we, taught, we answered the question of why we need to study Paul and his letters. And I'm going to hit a few of these things because I really want to get to the text, but I think it's important that we review a little bit because there are some very important things that the Lord shared with us last week that we can't let that just kind of hit our heart, bounce off, and forget about it, right? The Bible says in James that we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And it's interesting, as, as, you, as you look at that word hearer, it's like what you do when you audit a course, 
right? You're not studying, you're not serious about it, you don't have to take a test, so you're just kind of breezing through it. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that we have to be not only hearers of the words, but we have, we have to do it. And so as we, we thought about why we studied these, Paul and his letters, we found out that there was no other follower of Jesus that shaped early Christian movement as much as Paul did. I love his letters because they're pastoral. They, they teach us how we are to, to interact with each other in the corporate setting and also as we interact with the world around us. His, his letters show us what it means to follow Jesus in a pluralistic way, a pluralistic world. And then for me, last week, I personally, I love Paul's letters. I've been studying his letters off and on for years. In fact, I've got a book called Paul and His Letters, and I read it all the time. But the things that I've learned about Paul and his letters over my 40 years of walking with Jesus, as I said last week, that the Christian life can get messy. It can be full of trouble. It can be trouble caused by myself, trouble caused by others in our sinful nature. But we see that God can work and does work through our weaknesses, right? We see that in life, things don't go the way that we want them to go. Can you raise your hand if you've experienced that, right? It doesn't go how we think it should happen. But even when it goes not the way that we think it should happen, God always is there with us. He walks with us as we go through trials. He walks with us as we go through difficulties. He walks with us when we need encouragement. He walks with us through his body as he he uses the different gifts and those that are around us to encourage us. And many times when we don't have the faith or maybe even the belief that God is there, there is a brother, a sister that comes along and encourages us. I've learned about Paul that there is a future resurrection and that I should stand firm and not let anything move me from the hope of the gospel. Nothing moved me. But I should always give myself to the work of the Lord. And we looked at Paul's life that he was a persecutor, he was a dangerous man, but at his conversion, Something powerful happened to the man. He wasn't the same anymore. And thus today, as we have heard the gospel, I remember the young man that shared the gospel with me when I was 17 years old. Something happened to me. I was changed. Something began to happen. I began to change. My father thought something was wrong with me. He says, how come you're not running around like you used to be? He said, dad, I'm saved. Something happens to us when the gospel encounters our life. Can you say amen? Amen. Come on, come on. So that would happen to Paul. So from his conversion to his death, it was about 30 years, and we learned that his last 10 years were his most challenging. He spent six years in prison. He battled false teachers. And then he eventually died a martyr's death. And as tradition said, that he might have even been beheaded for the gospel. And as we look at the glaring outworking of God's grace in Paul's life and his total commitment to Christ, it's impactful. And we see that Paul embraced the discipleship call in Mark 8 that we talked about last last week. 
And Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 and 35, that if you want to follow me, you must be willing to accept these three conditions. You must be willing to deny yourself, make long, no longer your interests, the desires, the supreme concern of your life. You must take up your cross, the willingness to accept death to self and to embrace God's will in all circumstance. And then he said, you've got to follow me. The ongoing, continual relationship of total submission to God's will and his way. And many times we are frustrated in our Christian walk because we are holding on to our own life. We don't want to let go for whatever reason. But when we let go, Jesus says that we will find our life. We will actualize and, and begin to experience his purpose in our lives. This morning, uh, when my wife and I, we were worshiping together in prayer this morning, I was recounting the text of Mark 8 last, uh, this morning. And the Spirit of God began to move even in my own heart and begin to show me that there are things in my life that I still am holding on to. And that is that daily, daily surrender to the cross. Many times we, we make bargains with God. If you do this, I'll do that. But he says, you have to follow me. And then in that text, he says, it doesn't, there's really no other outcome. What would you exchange? What is worth your soul? Nothing. And so you have the lover of our soul. He is calling us to follow him. And if he's calling us, why do we think that somehow that will lead to something not good? No, it's always good. So we learned as we wrap this up and get into the text here, we learned that a mindset that's dominated by self-centeredness and being more concerned for the things of man than the things of God will result sometimes in me making decisions that are counter to the purposes of God. It can happen to me, it can happen to you. But obeying the scriptures and accepting God's will for our life, even though it's tough, it's always the best thing. It is always the best thing. Even when it's tough, it's always the best thing. Buck and I were talking about Joshua and Caleb again, spending 40 years in the wilderness, watching generations die off, but their faith... They kept them, and at 85 years old, he says, look, he followed the Lord wholly, fully, and they walked in and received their inheritance, and not only for them, but for their generations to come. Many times, our obedience can affect the generations to come. It can affect our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And so there is a lot at stake. We see Isaac in Genesis 26 in the midst of a famine. The natural thing to do was to, to leave. But the Lord says, stay there. 
and I'll bless you. I'll bless you and your descendants. And the Bible says that Isaac stayed. How many know that those are tough decisions in life? But obedience is always the best thing. Amen? So let's real quickly, let's, let's talk about the prison epistles. You see that up there, that it's, it's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philema. The prison epistles, as we mentioned, they were written by Paul during the time he was in prison. Tradition says that that place was in Rome. It was written in AD 60 AD. The destination was the church at Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. Some scholars believe it was a circular letter, not just to a specific church, but it was written for many churches to be read. The purpose was to encourage the believers and to instruct them in faithfulness by declaring and promoting reconciliation and unity in Christ. And lastly, the themes and the emphasis, the lordship of Christ, reconciliation in Christ, the unity of the church, victory in Christ, and the ethics of the church. So now let's go to the text. In Ephesians chapter 1, walking worthy of our calling, and now that we are disciples that are totally surrendered to the things of God, let's dig into the book and let's look at these truths that I, I believe they are game-changing truths. So as he opens the passage there in this book, verses 3 through 14 is one single sentence. It's a statement of declarative praise to God for the richness of his spiritual blessings that he has given us in Christ. So today we're going to talk about every spiritual blessing that we have. In this chapter, it's broken into two segments. Verses 3 through 14, it's about praise. And verses 15 through 23, which we'll do next week, is about a prayer. The last three chapters of the book, they are instructional, practical. As the first three chapters are doctrinal, they lay the doctrinal foundation for who we are as individual believers and how the church is to function. And when you get to chapter four, Paul makes this statement, walk worthy of this. Everything that I've covered in chapter one, two, and three, you walk worthy. Your life should be as in the equilibrium to that great truth. And as the Holy Spirit increases our capacity to understand this new identity, this is what happens. There comes a settledness in our spiritual walk. Studying Ephesians for the last year has, has brought a settledness to my own heart. It's brought this great sense of assurance of who I am in Christ. It's brought stability in my life and it's deepened my love for Jesus more than anything else. I read these truths and I'm amazed that he's, these things apply to me. It's an undeniable fact 
that because of our union with Christ, we are seated with him. We're now at the Father's right hand, the place of ultimate favor. You today in Christ are sitting with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, the place of ultimate favor. There's no other place more beautiful and precious than where we're seated with him right now. His favor. So let's look at verses one, two, one and two. Paul says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here that Paul introduces himself as an apostle. And that term in the classical Greek, it speaks of ships being sent out with cargo, or it can be a single person who's an envoy or an emissary. But more importantly, he's coming with an authority. He's coming with the authority that God has given him. I am Paul the apostle by God, given me the authority to come. I'm carrying the authority of the one who has sent me. Then he sends this greeting with a prayer that God would impart grace and peace to the recipients of the letters. Now that word grace is God's favor that comes through salvation and it's the empowerment to live life that pleases him. How many are glad for grace this morning? I am so glad for grace because it gives, empowers us to live. It's not only when we get forgiveness for sin, but it's empowerment to live. So Paul is saying he, that the grace of God would come. And that word grace is akin to the Old Testament word, loving kindness, mercy, faithfulness. It's a relational term. It speaks of God's act of kindness, his love, loyalty, towards us. I'm glad that God is loyal to us. I'm glad that he's loyal to us. Peace carries the idea of well-being, being peace with God, peace with others. It's not simply the absence of strife, but it's the wholeness and the well-being of God's people. Even though we're broken, he is moving us towards healing. He's working in our lives. My wife and I, we were, we've talked many times as we look at our lives. We are not the same people we were 38 years ago when we got married. God has changed us. He has changed things in me. He has changed things in her. We are moving towards that well-being that we have in Christ. Verse 3, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here, Paul is praising God for the wonderful blessings that come to us by being in union with Christ. He says that we have been blessed now, now, in the heavenlies. In this context, it's carrying the idea 
that every spiritual benefit necessary for our spiritual well-being is ours. Every spiritual blessing or benefit for our well-being is ours. These benefits are supernatural. They enable us to live the Christian life. And Paul uses this word every, and I love this word. And it means complete adequacy, no lack, no lack. So in this text, it indicates that this provision of unlimited spiritual benefit is now available to us as believers in Christ. In Christ, there is election, there's the cross, there's adoption, there's justification, there's sanctification, and then there's glorification. So now, Paul, in verses 4 to 14, he, he talks about these spiritual benefits in very specific ways now. Earlier, he talks in a very general way. Now he's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna describe the sheer beauty of these blessings through these three words, election, redemption, and sealing. Let's look at election, verses four through six. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now I love this. He chose us, he chose you. The idea here is after he's considered all options, he chose you. Come on. Somebody needs to be shouting in here. After considering all options, he chose you. There, there's somebody that's got it right there. There you He chose you. I'm sweating here. God had a deep and very personal interest in us, and he chose us before the world began. He said, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. He longed for that day when you would say yes. He chose you. And what was the purpose of that choosing? What time did I need to start by? Am I up there? Five more minutes? You know, I was in Panama. We taught for seven hours, right? <laughs> I always use that, try to manipulate George. It doesn't work. So what was the purpose of his choosing us? Think about that. After considering all options, he chose us. 
He chose us to be holy, that is to be set apart for God and to reflect his character. To be blameless, that is without reproach or without blame, that's physically or moral. And then he chose us or he marked out a path that we would be adopted. We become part of his family. Now we have some wonderful families here today that have adopted children. They know what that feels like. And when that child comes into that family, he becomes an Akardi. Everything that your name is, all the provision that you and your wife has for that child, you have invested in that. And so when God has chose us and brought us into his family, all the spiritual resources of heaven, his love are invested in us. And when Paul said this, he had the idea, it was a Roman practice of the day. And adoption continued the family's name. The adoptee was no longer under the control of his natural father, but his new father. <laughs> when we're saved, we're no longer, as we'll see in chapter two, under the dominion of Satan. But we have a new father. A glorious father, one that takes care of us, one that loves me, one that chose me before the foundation of the world. That's the God we serve. The adoptee acquires a new position, new privileges that his natural father couldn't give him. I might stop, because I want to pray. Y'all want me to keep going? Okay. So, Paul is saying in these verses to the Ephesians that through Christ, they are no longer under Satan, whose sole motive is to kill, steal, and destroy, but they are now under a new father who is unselfish, Loving and caring. That's what he's saying. Now these spiritual blessings are described in redemption. And he says, he, God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And he has showered us his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding, God has now revealed to us the mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Oh my God. And this plan, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose 
was for we, the Jews, were first to trust Christ would bring praise and glory to God. Let's look at a few terms here. First one, purchased our freedom or redemption. That means a ransom to secure our release. We were bound to sin. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. And he paid the price to release us. He made the payment. The forgiveness of our offenses. The enslavement to sin, we were released from it. And Paul says that he showered us with wisdom and understanding. And so wisdom is not only theoretical knowledge, but practical knowledge that results in skillful living. Come on. Understanding carries the idea of discernment of what's important in God's will and what he's done and how that applies to my life. He's given all wisdom and understanding to live wisely and that understands God's plan. And one author says this, listen to this. I'm about ready to cry. I'm about ready to cry. One author says this, the combination of wisdom and understanding that they've received leads to transformation. Not simply a higher intellectual knowledge, but life-changing understanding of the purpose of God in the world and my role in it. He has sealed us. And now you Gentiles, having heard the truth, the good news that God has saved you, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. The Spirit's is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Can we wrap it up here, Jordan? The seal, the mark of ownership, In the ancient world, the king had a seal and he would impress it on there. And all the person's significant possessions were marked with that impression. Listen, everything that somebody valued, they would put their seal on it. When you and I were saved, we received the Spirit 
God put his seal on us because we were valuable. Giving you the spirit refers to the sealing. It means ownership. It conveys these unshakable truths about our relationship. First, security. Each believer is secured in Christ. Authenticity, each believer is an authentic member of God's family. Ownership, every believer is God's very own possession and authority that he has delegated us his authority to proclaim his word. Paul says the spirit is a guarantee. The ceiling serves as a down payment, providing a guarantee that more is coming. So what is the implication for all of this to our lives today? Because we are in Christ, there is no lacking of anything spiritual benefit for our spiritual well-being. These benefits are supernatural. They enable us to live out the Christian life through the empowerment of grace. Through Christ, we're no longer under Satan's destructive rule and the enslaving power of sin. We're now under a new father who loves us. We are able to partake of these supernatural provisions because we're in Christ, because God took a deep personal interest in us and chose us before the world were created. He marked out beforehand that we would be adopted in his family. He was so kind to us that he sent Jesus to shed his blood for a ransom. He's given us wisdom to live skillfully understanding to discern his plan and our role in it. He has sealed us with his spirit as a sign of ownership and that he values us greatly. God has sealed us as a down payment of the glorious things that await us. He did this all that we might praise and glorify him. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for these truths that you chose us before the foundation of the world. That these things are so wonderful. They're so wonderful. That you have sealed us with the Spirit as a valued possession, as somebody that you love deeply. And our response today is that we love you so much 
We love you so much. And Lord, let these truths register deep in our hearts today. Your love for us, Father. Every spiritual blessing. Every supernatural thing that we need to live. says to the praise of your glorious grace we love you we love you God help us to surrender our lives to you you did all of this for us help us to walk in a worthy manner of that God by grace let us not exchange the fallen things of this world for these glorious truths. Let us value what you've done for us, these truths that are real. Let them be actualized in our lives.